A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. You are you. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. As always, we are joined with our super producer, Tristan McNeil. Has it always been like that? Rejoined. Rejoined. Is this like Mm -hmm. a Mandela effect thing? That's exactly what it is. Time okay. is a flat circle. Weird. Hey, I uh, I have a question. We we have talked about this off air at length, but uh, it's a it's a question I always love to ask people. If you could have three superpowers, what would they be? And here's why it's three instead of one. Okay. Most people choose flying, mm-hmm. and they don't even think like, are you flying? You know, using some sort of psychic power, some sort of levit. Mm. Uh, telekinesis or teleporting is clearly better than flying i think so but for some people it's about the journey but then do you also have to have magical breathing powers so that you can go to high altitudes and not like suffocate and die yeah and what happens if you go too fast and you hit something in the air you know nobody wants to go out by a rude running with a seagull but anyway Mm -hmm. yeah there are things to consider so invisibility is always the one i go to uh, super strength and some kind of Superman-like invulnerability. I mean, invi- invisibility is like the way it's portrayed in like the Lord of the Rings. It's, it's practically a godlike power. Yeah, mm-hmm. precisely. You can you can totally manipulate events if you're invisible. Yeah, and you'd also want to be uh, invisible to electronic uh, surveillance methods as well, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So maybe just all three are invisible to certain spectrums. 
There we go. Yeah. Uh, I would want to be uh, invulnerable. I'd want to be able to teleport, and I'd like to have some sort of shadow power. Wow. Like, we're making super superheroes. Can you be more specific? <laughs> <laughs> About my shadow powers? I mean, shadow powers are pretty obvious. You can manipulate any and all dark. Oh, sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. That's that's it. What about you, Noel? Oh, man. You guys are putting me on the spot. I mean, I think teleportation would be really, really cool. Yeah. Because I hate the airport. Well, are we are we talking like Nightcrawler that can teleport to something he can see? Uh, don't make me embarrass myself. So he can teleport up to like two miles. And he can bring other people with him, no, but it's no, a physical no, no. strain. I need more than two miles. If I'm gonna, yeah. if I'm gonna cut out the airport, I need to be able to blip myself to mm-hmm. New York or L.A. And I like or the, Fiji. Yeah, and I like the uh, w- one thing that you probably also want is you want some sort of instinctual inability to teleport yourself into objects. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like oh, being able to right. see something see? is pretty important and know this at least. This is like some monkey's paw business here. <laughs> we really have to like think out all the ramifications of these superpowers. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. So it's almost like my other two powers have to be stuffed to mitigate any like fallout <laughs> yes. from the teleportation. Yeah, yeah you don't want to accidentally all of a sudden become stucco. You know? Or you just end up like in a pillar, a concrete pillar, yeah, and you just right. suffocate to death. And there's you got one arm hanging out. <laughs> but couldn't you just suck? And that's just... the story of me. <laughs> no, no. Uh, would you use Blip as your superhero name? I like Blip. I think it's cool, especially yeah. if that's the sound you make. And I'll wear like a cool 80s like backwards hat and like some <laughs> hyper color clothes, you know. <laughs> uh, Game Boy. I'm kind of mixing my eras here. I but. think – no, I think this is, this is a, a great conversation. We want to hear what – your three powers would be as well. Uh, one of the things that we love on this show, and I'm sure you can tell, is uh, we love superheroes, supervillains, and usually uh, one of the reasons that these heroes or villains are uh, so extraordinary is because they have an extraordinary power or mm-hmm. powers um, that are unique to them as an individual. And this is an old idea. It didn't just start with comic books. Oh yeah, this goes back to antiquity. We're, we're talking about the belief in a human having some kind of ability beyond what would be considered normal. Uh, we're talking about superhuman strength, precognition, um, some kind of stamina that's extraordinary or even durability, being able to live forever and having immortality or even, uh, commune with certain types of animals. Or just maybe having a really pungent odor. That's this probably true. one, yeah. But one of the biggest ones that we've talked about before is being able to transmute a metal or one object into Ooh. another type of object. Sure. Uh, lead to gold, water to wine, all the hits, all the big ones. And don't think we let you slip past, Matt. By the end of the show, we're going to have to figure out what your superhero or supervillain name is. Okay, no worries. Okay. Uh, and I, it's fair that I'll have to do the same thing. And then together we'll nominate something for Tristan. Sorry, Tristan, you don't get a Uh, All right. So often these powers that Matt mentions would come from either interaction with a god Mm -hmm. or being the descendant of a god. You know, that's so much mythology is lousy with half human, half god creatures, right? The old demigods. Mm -hmm. And these abilities could also be some part of a curse, you know? Yeah, you get something good and on the other hand, oh – There's awful things happening in your life. Here are some examples featured in this clip from the 2016 movie Gods of Egypt. Ages have passed. 
since the gods walked among us. Only one god can save us, but not without his eyes. We need your help. Soon I will rule all of the world. So how do we stop him? Try to keep up. You know what's waiting. Set has an army behind him. Gods, beasts, demons. We should run. Run? We mortals do it all the time. What is it? It's a fictional world where every uh, every important person in Egypt is white. Yeah, that's the main superpower <laughs> is the superpower of whiteness. Oh, no, no, but it's like it's this total Michael Bay, dumb blockbuster kind of like Transformersy looking thing featuring all of these gods from, you know, the mythology mm-hmm. of Egypt, like, uh, like Horus and all, Horus that. And all that stuff. And like, but it's just blisteringly dumb. And, uh, and yeah. they treat like superheroes, right? Treat it like powers. superheroes. Yeah. Everything about it, yeah, just big, lots of like bullet time, you know, slow mo, <laughs> three hundred kind of stuff. And I don't know, I didn't want to derail us too much, but I just think that's a funny example of like, like kind of like how would we modernize these ideas of superpowers Ooh. from the past into like a really dumb example of like modern superhero movies. And this is it. That's spot on. I think that's a great example. It's a good argument too, because as cultures and civilizations evolve, stories of these similar powers persisted, but they're increasingly acknowledged to be works of fiction, right? And the cause of the power also evolves. You know, we have radioactive spiders and chemical Mm -hmm. spills instead of, um, gods banging our moms. Well, totally. It's like a way of like making peace or like, um, wrapping your head around some phenomenon that's tied to like the current time or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like absolutely. some social norm or some like environmental distressing thing, you know, like, mm-hmm. like again, like radioactivity, you know, nuclear war, mm-hmm. a lot of like, uh, the early superheroes like in Marvel and DC, even like Captain America and stuff were tied to like fear of like an enemy, like an unseen, you know, like mm-hmm. Nazis and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of this goes back to man's want to be exceptional in some way. To dominate, right? Yeah, to dominate and just be cool, man. Harder, faster, stronger, smarter, right? Yeah. Uh, And that's what this episode is about. So I think we did an all right job with a, a brief look at superpowers and heroism and how it evolves with culture. But here's here's the thing. They're real life superpowers. No. Yes. They're real life superpowers. And as we record this, there are not only people who have these abilities that we will explore and we'll give you some examples, but there are groups and organizations seeking to exploit or privatize or somehow profit from these abilities. That is a um- Wow. I know. It sounds like we just wrote this really cool Netflix original sci-fi thing. <laughs> yeah. But. Isn't that a thing? Isn't there like a. Is there already one? Well, it makes me think of that, that show, um, Misfits. Oh yeah. Misfits. It was on the BBC where yeah. like, uh, this is no spoilers, but you know, these young, youngish teens delinquents are, uh, imbued with pretty cool, unique powers based on some sort of electrical storm or something like yeah, that. Yeah. There's a big But storm. they have to kind of like figure out how to like, work their lives around these abilities because some of them are very debilitating and like, you know, cause real problems. They're not all great relationships and Mm -hmm. stuff. I will give just for an example. I'm really glad you mentioned that show. Just for an example of the range of these powers, uh, there are, there are people who can, um, 
manipulate things telekinetically, but only dairy products. That's there's one guy who does that. It's it's scientifically. I, I yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. On oh. misfits. Is this oh, true? Oh, maybe okay. IRL. Maybe there's. Oh, whoa, there's, I didn't know that. that that's yeah. a pretty weak uh, superpower. What would you do? Like just douse people with rotten milk? I don't know. I don't know, man. Lactose. Wait for someone to drink milk and then be like, you're in my world now. And if oh, the milk gosh. turns, do you lose your control over it? <laughs> that's a good mm. point, man. That's, that's the dark side. So here then are some examples of real life superpowers. Longtime listeners, you may recognize this from a, uh, some of this from a video we had done in the past. You may have heard some of these in other sources, but unless you're, unless you're a very specific uh, type of researcher, you probably haven't heard all of these. The first one is echolocation, human echolocation. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's the ability to sense objects around you by hearing the echoes that are produced from a sound, usually that you produce. Isn't that the dolphin sound, though, that they do, like when they're yeah. – they Bats echo do the same yeah. kind of thing where they're yeah. sending out a signal and they're just listening to what's being reflected. And this this could uh, be replicated by humans, uh, for example, through tapping of a cane or stomping a foot, snapping the fingers, uh, making clicking noises with one's mouth. Yeah, it's used a lot in people who lack sight or have uh, visual problems. And not to be crass, but this is like real-life daredevil mm-hmm, stuff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, without the superhuman-enhanced uh, other senses, right? But – Echolocation was coined by this zoologist named Donald Griffin back in 1944. However, the reports of people who um, lack, you know, lack sight uh, being able to locate these objects goes back to 1749. Silent objects, not like, not like playing Marco Polo with mm-hmm. someone in a pool or something, but you know, being able to know that this bottle of mineral water is this far away, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's almost like the audio equivalent of like tracking a scent, right? Where it's yeah, like you send something out and then you can determine how far it is based on like how quickly it bounces back or something mm-hmm. like that. You, you follow a trail. You can kind of like fill in the distance, I guess. Yeah. And, and since the fifties, people have been researching this in human beings, right? This learned echolocation. Um, we don't know for sure if someone was born blind, if they would naturally learn it on their own. We don't know if that's, you know, like uh, the overwhelming majority of infants are all born knowing how to swim, right? Yeah. Which is still – that's a weird thing. And then they lose it. Yeah, and then they lose Somehow, it. Somehow, right? Because, yeah. I mean, I had to teach my kid to swim, so obviously that didn't stick. If like, only they were born learning how to – knowing how to ride a bike, that'd be cool. Yeah, right? The, that's the one. Yeah. That's the real hassle. The, uh, the craziest thing to me about this specific – type of echolocation is that it's not all the ears. Your ears are not doing all the work. It's also the skin, right? The skin. So they used to, they used to believe for a long time that you, um, if you were practicing echolocation, you would feel pressure changes nearby objects. And this is something, uh, the sense of proximity is something that a lot of people report in, in, in various different ways. Like, uh, do you believe that you can tell, you can feel when someone's looking at you, right? From behind? I feel like I feel it. Yeah. Do I? I don't, that's another, that's a question. I, I, are we only remembering the times that we turn around and there is someone there? Because I usually. We should Pepsi challenge that sometime. We should definitely do that. How do we test that? 
Do we just tell our coworkers? Well, it's like that scene in Ghostbusters, you know, where he like holds up the cards and uh-huh. gives them a shock when they yeah. get it wrong or whatever, <laughs> you know? Have you guys ever tried walking down our massive hallway to the elevators and closing your eyes? Yes. I've tried to do that before, and you really can sense when you're getting close to a wall. Uh, it's really interesting, but that is all the ears. But it also makes sense because you would you would detect a change in the airflow. I yeah, would think, yeah. you know, as it butts up against a surface. There we go. If you felt like a wide hallway, as you got closer to a wall, I, I would think you would definitely detect a sense of like a change in space. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's a really solid argument. Uh, one of the most famous cases of this in recent times is a fellow named Ben Underwood. He was diagnosed with retinal cancer at the age of two, and at the age of three, he had to have his eyes removed. And then he learned, with the help of a mentor, to de- to detect the location of objects by making clicking noises with his tongue. And with this ability, he was able to run, play basketball, ride a bicycle, rollerblade, play football, skateboarding. These are, Mm -hmm. you know, using dynamic, quote-unquote, silent objects, you know. Yeah, Uh, and this is very much – two things. It's very much daredevil to me because he had this mentor that was teaching him how to do this, right? Um, And the other thing is you can see – Ben Underwood doing these things by searching the internet for him. You shouldn't see him. And also uh, one thing that's interesting is this is one of the talents that apparently can be taught to anyone with okay hearing. Wow. So we could all learn uh, to practice echolocation. Is there a YouTube video? Can I learn it? (laughs) I wonder. You know, there should be. Do I need like a a mentor? Yeah. Yeah, You probably need a lot of experiential practice, you know, and it, I'm not doing it then. You're not going to do it. You're at that stage in life where you're like, I'll just make friends with someone. If I can't learn to do it by watching one at most a series of three YouTube videos, I'm not interested. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> that's sad. There's another, there's another thing that gets grouped in with superpowers. Uh, that we definitely should mention, but we should also point out that this could be its own, this could be its own episode, and it's the idea of intellectual superpowers, mm-hmm. geniuses, yeah. savant syndrome. You know, uh, a genius, as as we know, is a person who has an exceptional intellectual ability or originality, or they're super uh, prolific, typically to a degree that is associated with new advances in the world. Mm-hmm. So they don't just build a better mousetrap; they like change the way we think of mice and traps. Yeah. And it's neat because a lot of times in comics and stuff, the ones that have this superpower tend to be super villains, right? Yeah, right. They're right. too smart for their like own Ozymandias. good. I mean, he, in uh, Watchmen, he had some super strength stuff going on, but he was also like super techie minded and could mm-hmm. like, you know, come up with all this crazy stuff. But then a lot of times there's like an antithesis to that on the good side too. Yeah. Sure, but they're they're flawed. There's no like perfect, perfect person who's also very smart as a superpower. They're Dr. Doom level crazy Mm -hmm. or Ozymandias crazy or they have, you know, like crippling alcoholism like Tony Stark and some major father issues. He's got his stuff together in the the more recent movies. It's true. So one thing that's fascinating here as well is that despite all the self-professed and – the self-professed geniuses and all the other people who say so-and-so is a genius, uh, most geniuses tend to concentrate in a single sort of discipline or activity. Now, there are renaissance 
people around, mm-hmm. you know, who do multiple things. But it's much more common for someone to excel in a single intellectual pursuit. And so far throughout history, none of these geniuses have focused on finding a precise scientific definition of the word genius because we also, it turns out, do a real shoddy job trying to define intelligence. So when we say someone's a genius, technically, we don't really know what we're saying. What's yeah. a very, is the word qualitative? Yeah, instead we're, of quantitative. We're instilling like an end result. We're saying John Lennon was a genius because he made Imagine or like the Beatles were geniuses because they made this work that we find to be superb. Right, right. right. We don't have any hard data, any quantitative thing. There's an argument that a um, that a genius needs to have at least uh, a 125 IQ score, but uh, the IQ test itself, as we know, is j- – Flawed at best. Yeah. Flawed at best. Like the last season of Lost. Yeah. Tell uh, me what you guys think about this. Yeah. In my opinion. You mean the one where they were all dead? <laughs> oh, my God. No, stop it. Just kidding. That's, the, that's not what happened. That's a callback. We got, I got, we got yeah. yelled at for spoiling the end mm-hmm. of Lost. And Somebody lost it. <laughs> oh, that's good. When, well, I'm just, when I'm imagining geniuses here, I imagine yeah. that we're all D&D characters and we all have a certain amount of points that we get to go, you know, we get to put into our character, right? Yeah. And in this instance, in reality, those points are actually time that we spend on things. Mm-hmm. So when you're rolling the dice, you're it's actually you spending time on things and then you get better and better and better exponentially perhaps at one thing. Like we're saying a genius a lot of times will focus on something uh-huh. or have a specific area. Yeah, that's a good point. And speaking of focus, there's another side to this we mentioned um, when we talk about intellectual abilities and that is something called savant syndrome, which is – Controversial, but is real. Oh, it's very much real. And this is when someone demonstrates a profound ability, something that is objectively in – it exceeds what would be considered normal. Somehow like innate, right? Like yeah. almost like a pre a predisposition towards a very specific mm-hmm. skill set that like they have no business like based on experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's – it's extra extraordinary because a lot of times people who are who have savant syndrome or almost every time there are defects in other areas of the brain or of uh sure development yeah. well, the super non pc term is idiot savant right right that's yeah. the old that's the yeah. old term they would use and the it it was used because they would say well here is a person who in many ways may not be able to uh, function unassisted in society, but isn't it weird that they know what day of the week when, uh, September 17th, 2045 would be? Is this yeah. like the Dustin Hoffman character in Rain Man? Kind, it's of. kind of like a cliche yeah. example of this. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is, um, I think you're spot on. So as Matt said, these, uh, people who have savant syndrome may have neurodevelopmental disorders, even brain injuries. There's something called acquired savant syndrome where someone sustains a traumatic brain injury and then emerges with, um, for instance, the ability to, uh, sketch, uh, with enormous proficiency, right? Um, and I think stuff you should know might have explored one or two of these sorts of cases. So do check that out. The the most dramatic examples of savant syndrome uh, occur with people who score very, very low on IQ tests while 
being inarguably brilliant in specific areas. And we do have to say, although it's called a syndrome, currently it's not recognized as a mental disorder or even part of a mental disorder in medical manuals. Uh, so what kind of stuff, uh, what kind of stuff are they skilled at? What, what are these savant skills all about? I mean, the most common type of savants are what's called calendrical savants or um, human calendars. And they are able to, cal- like you were saying earlier, Ben, calculate the day of the week for any given date with a, a speed and accuracy that's pretty much uncanny. Um, or they can recall memories, very specific memories from any given date in time. That they're aware of. So they can. That they were alive. I mean, I it's not like seeing the future, but. Yeah. <laughs> that would be that cool. Would, that's another superpower entirely. That's another. Yeah. We don't have precognition on there. There's also um, a thing called hyperthymesia. This is people who have an extremely detailed autobiographical memory. These are, this is different from savant uh, syndrome. Uh, these people will have very, very detailed memories and they don't have to try to remember them. You know, like a mentalist or someone doing a um, reciting pie mm-hmm. trick. Uh, these people could, if they were reciting pie aloud just to themselves, and then, you know, they remembered that, oh, I was hanging with my buddies uh, Ben and Noel, and that's why I remember these 800 digits of pie. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. that's that's strange. You got to wonder how useful or not useful that is. Is yeah. there a connection to like having a photographic memory in this? I think it is. I think that's pretty much the same. The weird thing is, it's tied to, um, it's tied to their associations. So they wouldn't just remember every page of a book they read. They would remember how they felt for every page yeah. and how much change was in their pocket. You know, do you think that would have the potential to like overwhelm you? I think by the time you're in your like forties, that's got to be a real hassle. I would just be like, shut up, yeah. shut yeah. up, brain. It, it reminds me of how Daniel Tammet, who uh, there's this book called Born on a Blue Day, and I think he's got another one, Thinking in Numbers. It's somebody that my wife was really fascinated by, uh-huh. who can think when he thinks about numbers, he sees a shape, like a physical shape. Yeah, synesthesia. Yeah, You've exactly. got that one coming up, right? Yeah, yeah, and he but he combines that with, I, I guess, a photographic memory to be able to do extraordinary things with numbers. So it, it it also sort of grounds the memories in multiple sensory encodes, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a day that is blue and is round, yeah. right? And maybe has a soft texture, a soft fuzzy texture. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, and Was it Tuesday? Was it Tuesday? You are correct, sir. You are correct. Should we pop into a quick break before we continue? Yeah, let's uh, let's get to the really weird stuff after a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. 
Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with the Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. 
And guys, let's jump right in sure. to one of my favorites. <laughs> your favorite? How many spoons can you stick to your body, Matt? That's it. Magnetism. My Get... spoon is too big. <laughs> <laughs> Magneto, man. I remember just being so excited by that as a kid when reading any comic books. The idea of being able to take anything metal and manipulate it. He he came off as pretty godlike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in the movies when he's just like arms outstretched and mm-hmm. just like stuff is like levitating and then he crushes it down on that everyone. That was so cool. Really neat. The only defense is to build your armor out of stone. <laughs> I'm just going I like that. So, yeah. So the human magnetism or the, the human quote unquote magnetos, it turns out, are not quite as um, – not not quite as powerful. Extreme. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They're not lifting stadiums, but they are attracting objects to their bare skin. Yeah, and they're uh they're human magnets. Mhm. That's the that's the idea. Uh one example would be Edibar Elchiev from uh the country of Georgia. He is a Guinness World Record holder for the most spoons on a human body. <laughs> There's too many spoons on my body. It was 50 spoons. <laughs> I guess he got to 51. Maybe he ran out of room. Yeah. And uh, they told him he couldn't. Well, this is a family show. But wasn't this... Uh, I could get way more than 50 spoons <laughs> on my body. Okay. Oh, well. Yeah, because they don't say the size of the spoon. Is it a regulation spoon? Is yeah. It? Wasn't this somehow debunked, though, by Mr. Randy? I don't see... See, I don't think the use of the word debunked is appropriate this is like explained i know sometimes a lot of people who consider themselves like internet expert skeptics love to think that they're debunking stuff it's like if you drive by a blockbuster and it's closed you didn't debunk blockbuster it's just not open well i guess okay so the right thing would be he showed that it wasn't actually magnetism that was going on yeah yeah Um, and some people can just like some people would say, yeah, he debunked the claim because he said it's not magnetism, mm-hmm. but the actual thing is still happening. Yes. There is an ex- extraordinary thing happening. It turns out that these people have very sticky skin. Yeah. Very different power. So it's yeah. basically like when I take a spoon and stick it on my nose and I just hang it there. Yeah, but with their whole body. Okay. Yeah. So they have – They're just damp or like – No. <laughs> They uh they have a uh, a higher higher friction rate on their skin. So one of the things, one of the big clues that that's not really magnetism is first off, there's no detectable magnetic field, mm-hmm. and secondly, although metal's the most popular thing that's they stick to themselves, uh, other things like glass, porcelain, wood, plastic, brass, uh, these things also stick to them. So it's not. It's not – they're not walking refrigerators. So could yeah. they pull some like sick Spider-Man type tricks? You could get as close to Spider-Man as possible. Spider-Man? <laughs> with, uh, with someone yeah, I stole who that from this. Kristen and Caroline. They're always like, John Spider-Man, attorney at law. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this this idea of um, unusually frictive or sticky skin, it's interesting because I wonder if it would be possible to do what you're saying to, to uh, increase the degree – of stickiness such that these people would be able to support their own weight. Mm. And that's a really tall order. I mean, there yeah. are lizards that can do it, right? So why not people? I say just add syrup. Just That's add- your answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to Did what happened? Did big syrup get to you? <laughs> they really did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what can I say, man? The maple 
group. I don't know what they're called. Yeah. They, they don't have business cards or something. You but. guys, we we all went out for uh, drinks a, uh, a a week or so ago, and uh, Matt tried to order syrup. Yep. They didn't have it. He said syrup straight up. Come on, the local. <laughs> then there was that one time we were out and randomly these three Canadian dudes in suits with like black cases came up and took Matt aside and I had to peek over it and they had opened the case and there were these three perfect bottles of maple syrup yeah. and stuck in one of those like foam cutout things in the yeah. perfect shape. Yep. And then they were gone. And yeah. they had these, uh, they had these little, uh, maple leaf tattoos, tattoos right on their Ooh. neck. You could just see. Yeah. Um, I had them design the containers to look just like the secret of the use. Things. Oh yeah, mutagen. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, also, uh, there are uh, there are a lot of. It turns out there are real superpowers that are kind of like in the film Unbreakable. Mm. Uh, there are superpowers that are the opposite of um, a genetic weakness. So we know okay. like color deficiency or mm-hmm. color blindness. That's mm-hmm. the thing that happens. Red green color blindness is the most common. It's generally in men and uh then you know there are less common ones relating to like yellow and blue or complete color blindness where everything is just a noir film for the rest of your life. And then there's someone on the other side. There are people called tetrachromats. Whoa. They, these people who are overwhelmingly female appear to literally see more colors than most of humanity ever will. What does that mean though? Are there more colors than what? <laughs> Aren't there a finite number of colors? Maybe that, I don't know. Well, they can differentiate. So it's probably something ah, shades. Like, yeah. So yeah. like what would be just regular old green to us is this vast panoply of mm-hmm. strange. Visual delights. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, according to, you know, my Photoshop color wheel and all the things that I ever deal with in color, there's what, about a million different shades and versions that I can see with my eye? Mm-hmm. But tetrachromats can see up to what? A hundred million. Which again, I don't know how you even get down that deep into the the crevices between the colors. Like floating around in a psychedelic dream at all times. I imagine that it's different. But to them it's probably normal. So right, most people have three cells or receptors in our retinas, but tetrachromats have a fourth receptor. And that may be what allows for their heightened Mm. color perception. It's also estimated that about twelve percent of women in the world carry the gene for this fourth receptor. It makes me think of like certain really expensive cameras that have like bigger sensors or mm-hmm. like, you know, more sensors sure. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just – you've got Megapixels. your equipment allows you to take in more information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it, but idea. what it means is the stuff is there. It's not like it's – we just can't see it, right? Right, right. Exactly. So carrying the gene doesn't guarantee you'll wind up with supervision. But uh, those who have the gene and who are immersed in a wide range of colors from a very young age appear more likely to develop it. Researchers are still – trying to figure out what's going on with this. Still very early days in research here, so there aren't any hard numbers on how it manifests itself. However, it's a real thing, and if you are listening to this show, you may very well carry this gene. Dude. It's like my impulse is to be like, tell us what it's like. Yeah. Sort of like asking a colorblind person to describe color but like the opposite or whatever yeah you know? yeah it's tough it's, like, it's just you know it's cool it's just how i it's just you know my day-to-day yeah mm-hmm. it's my day-to-day i don't know what uh you think blues like it looks like <laughs> uh yeah there's another one though this one is this one is crazy this is perhaps one of the most comic book 
style powers. Super strength. That's right. Genuine super strength. Uh, Why are you waving your fists at us, man? Because I have it. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> but it's linked to his aggression. I like see. The whole, okay. That's why you spend so much time being nice, right? Yeah, I have to be nice. Otherwise, <laughs> you wouldn't like, we wouldn't like that. <laughs> uh, so we hear about cases of hysterical strength, uh, so often, right? Uh, a mother is lifting a car to rescue a kid and someone's like, Hey, average person, average mom person, mm-hmm. you can't lift that. Corolla. I don't know. I just did. And um, this evidence is almost always anecdotal, right? Because it'd be really tough to create an experiment where we just scare people and see if they can lift cars. Well, yeah. And and it could – a lot of times it's not as extreme as lifting an entire car, but something that you shouldn't be able to do physically. Right, right. Uh, So – there's a pretty good example or um, there's a pretty good theory, I should say, about how hysterical strength could work. And it all goes back to adrenaline. When uh, adrenaline is released by your adrenal medulla, and that's a interior region of your adrenal glands, uh, it allows blood to flow more easily to your muscles, which means more oxygen goes to your muscles, which means your muscles function at elevated levels, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they are uh, – Okay, so when you are throwing a punch or lifting a Toyota Corolla to save your kid or whatever, uh, or just lifting things normally, your skeletal muscles, the ones that are attached to your bones, are activated by impulses from the nervous system. They contract, they tighten, and adrenaline facilitates the conversion of your body's fuel, uh, glycogen, into its, uh, well, the fuel source into the actual fuel. Yes. Glycogen to glucose. So this gives extra energy to your muscles. A sudden burst of glucose also allows them to strengthen further for a very short time. Yeah, and it also dampens your pain receptors a bit. So when you are, like, let's say, in an adrenaline rage mm-hmm. and lifting something, and you don't feel your muscles maybe somewhat breaking right. that, in that moment. Yeah, maybe you'll pay for it later. Yeah. Huh? Uh, but that's only temporary super strength. It turns out that the truth is stranger than the fiction in this case. There really is full-time, permanent, for the rest of your life, super strength. So at five months old, this fellow from Grand Rapids, Michigan, named Liam Hoekstra, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, started doing an expert gymnast move called the Iron Cross. Uh, and then by eight months old, Liam could do a pull-up. And by nine months, he could climb up and down stairs. I am 34, and I still cannot do a pull-up. <laughs> so that is pretty cool. Um, so soon the family um, thought, what's going on here? Like, they figured they should get it checked out. So they took him to a specialist who diagnosed Liam with a rare condition that's loosely called myostatin-related muscle hypertrophy. Um, and that's according to a report by the Associated Press. And then virtually every animal on Earth has a gene that produces a muscle-grown inhibiting protein called myostatin. Um, and high levels of myostatin make it hard for the body to build muscle. And low levels allow muscles to grow. So what's the takeaway here, Ben? Oh, so that means that the gene responsible for myostatin, if it's broken – 
then there's no limiting of your muscle development. Uninhibited. It just right. keeps going. Beefiness. So, so it's not it's not a gene that is supposed to give you super strength. It's a gene that's supposed mm-hmm. to prevent you from having super strength. And when it's broken, you get more muscle, essentially. So you may have seen this before too. Mm-hmm. In uh Cows, cattle. Yeah, there's a breed of cattle called the Belgian Blue that uh, all of them just look ripped. They Crazy. Look, they <laughs> they look like um, I don't know how you would convince them to go to a slaughterhouse. You know, nope. they, they look like they could just stare you down. Do you think they're delicious? Or are they I just doubt too it. gamey? Probably I doubt too it. gamey. I don't know. They might not have marbling. Yeah. You know, with like the little uh, strands of fat mm-hmm. in there. Uh, Wagyu, they are not. Uh, but it's also this gene has also been found in mice. Uh, there was another kid in Germany uh, who was detected with this ability earlier. The condition is so rare; uh, only a few other cases have ever been found. So there's not secretly some community of superpowered yeah. tank people. Yeah, just you know, and Brock Lesnar, I guess. Yeah, yet at least. <laughs> well, there's also. Um, so just a laundry list, a couple more here. There's also um, synesthesia, right, mm-hmm. which we mentioned earlier. That is where your sensory inputs for uh, one sense get cross-wired or, you know, they, they get somehow combined with a uh, another sensory input. So – Haven't it, you experienced that before? Yeah, yeah. So uh, for like in uh, my case, a lot of um, – Textures have colors and, and kind of shapes of their own. Wow. Um, and in other cases, uh, so uh, Vladimir Nabokov uh, is a phenomenal writer who also had synesthesia. And his wife had synesthesia and I think one of his kids had synesthesia and he attempted to prove uh, – for him, letters had colors and shapes and or colors and uh, textures and he attempted to prove that they were somehow accessing this greater truth but it turns out that his wife and his kid were both like uh no dude o is not a blue silver oval oh they saw it in different yeah they're like o is yellow why are you being an idiot whoa so this seems to be individual uh but it is a it is a legitimate um cross century thing and a lot of times people have probably experienced it um in childhood maybe or in other maybe under the influence of a psychotropic especially with music or with music well it's a thing that comes up often with um musicians and artists in fact um mental floss has an article called uh, 12 Famous Artists with Synesthesia. So I'm just going to rip this one real quick just for your information. Uh-huh. We've got Nabokov, who wrote uh, Lolita, a uh, very well-known author. Tori Amos, who I was completely obsessed with when I was a kid. Huh. Um, we've got Jeffrey Rush, the uh, famous actor from uh, Shine. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Not so great from the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Um, we've got Duke Ellington, who is a fantastic band leader and uh, musician and arranger and composer. Billy Joel, who yeah. thunk it. Uh, we've got Dev Hines from, um, he was, he's in a band called Blood Orange. That's really, really cool. If you guys haven't heard them, I recommend that. And he has, uh, something called chromesthesia, which is where you see sound as color. Wow. Okay. And you yeah. interpret sound as uh, visually. Very, very cool. And then, uh, rounded out, we have Ben Bullen of How Stuff Works and Stuff They Don't Want You to Know slash Car Stuff slash Brain Stuff. Slash what are you, what are you talking? 
synesthesia artists. Oh, we oh, that's very kind. We do have a brainstorm video about synesthesia. There you go. If someone's interested in learning it, but it, yeah, it's a it's a real thing. Another cool thing you can do. That's uh, I I wonder should we do synesthesia an episode just on synesthesia? We should. Actually, sure. looking back at this article, most of these artists had chromesthesia. Oh just, wow! Uh, yeah, so yeah. I could see that when you're a musician, that kind of would be an interesting. Thing yeah, where it, you experience sound visually, I could see that as being kind of would be maddening at times, but I could see it as being like a whole headspace to be in for like getting there creatively. It would know. predispose you to pursue music, I mm-hmm. think. And then also, uh, if some people's voices might just be ugly to you. Yeah. So you might not be able to talk to certain people. Yeah, it's like, do, you, do you chase the good notes because they're the colors that are yeah, most appealing yeah. totally. to you? You're, yeah. It enhances the muse thing but then i think you're right ben it also enhances whatever the dark side of it is literally be like please stop talking please please your ugly ugly voice (laughs) is blinding me uh there's also uh this is this one is uh this will be one of the last ones for this purpose Uh, this is the closest thing i think to a true true superpower that's in this list more so than super strength yes temperature control yes really be, yeah, as a survival mechanism, I think so. So, yeah. Wasn't um, Houdini able to do this? Did I make that up? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. I'm not I, – I haven't confirmed that. But it is It is possible for people to learn to control their um, – the autopilot functions that your body usually has. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are probably not many people who can or would – purposefully stop their hearts unaided through meditation alone. But there are people who are able to raise or lower their functioning body temperature. Buddhist monks do this. Uh, you can see multiple video studies where they're in a cold room with an ice ice blanket placed over them and they just steam it off. Yeah, dude. Uh, through a practice called tummo, I want to say. Yeah, essentially through meditation, just centering mm-hmm. – so like getting so focused on it. I was totally wrong about Houdini, by the way. Just putting that out there. Oh, okay. Maybe he just maybe he just didn't tell anybody. <clears throat> See? Yeah. Well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> but uh there's a European named Wim Hof who learned uh these techniques and applied um his own interpretation of them. And now he holds twenty-six world records uh because he has a superhuman ability to withstand extreme cold. And he says that through breathing exercises he turns up his inner thermostat. He is able to climb up places like Everest, just wearing shorts and shoes. Everest is very cold, if you're yeah. familiar with it. Um, He's known as the Iceman. Yeah, in a, in a burst of creativity. He calls himself yeah. the Iceman. Uh, but you can see his numerous world records uh, in this. I don't know. Uh, what's your favorite power so far, you guys, of the ones on the list? I, I honestly, I think this is mine because one of the one of the longest things humans have had to fight against is the winter mm. and the cold and being able to, you know, I don't know how long he can withstand it. It seems like a long period of time if he can get up Kilimanjaro uh, using these techniques and staying warm, uh, swimming. I saw a video of him swimming mm-hmm. just in the ice water and he's just like, yeah, I'm, it's all good. All right. So Matt. Going for temperature control. I, honestly. Matt the Hothead Frederick. I just think it's the best. More so than super strength? Yeah, because muscles, you know, <laughs> they're fine. They're kind of gross. <laughs> uh, what about you? No, I could see you as a synesthesia fan. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know 
whether right. it would be cool or not. No refunds. Without experience, <laughs> it might be, you know, it might be like a double-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Like where it's like, okay, I'm this like genius composer, but mm-hmm. I, 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 I wish it would stop. You know, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. It's, it seems interesting. I don't know, man. Like, I think I'm with Matt on the, uh, the, the, the body temperature one. That certainly is a functional. All right, I'm I'm switching mine then. I'm I'm going to syrup skin. That's my favorite. Oh boy, is that what we're dubbing that? Syrup, syrup skin, skin? Yeah. sticky mat, sticky, yeah. sticky, <laughs> sticky bod, yep. sticky mat, sticky yeah. bod crane. Uh, let's do it. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't have to really wear clothes. I can just get objects and apply them to myself in various strategic. Places. And whenever you need clothes, you'll just roll around on something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good to go. Well, uh, in case. Uh, you don't, uh, I don't want you to feel like you have to give your final answer now okay, because okay. there are a few more things and some interesting developments in the near future, which we'll learn about after a word from our sponsor. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpert. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way. Knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So far, our journey into the world of extraordinary superpowers or uh, semi-supernatural-seeming abilities has has been pretty pretty fun, you know, kind of lighthearted. We haven't run into any real danger here. No, and it's all, well, mostly it's been natural abilities that have been found in people, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it shows us a little bit about the the scale and the scope of the human genome, mm-hmm. right? We still have no idea what other stuff could be out there, but this show being the type of show it is, of course, we do have a turn. There is some stuff they don't want you to know. And they, in this case, are various organizations that we mentioned in the top. The big question here is what if someone decided to stop waiting on the genetic lottery, the infinite monkeys and infinite typewriters just sort of plucking away till they make poetry and Shakespeare? What if someone decided to stop waiting for accidents and started creating superpowers in humans? Through technology, you mean? <laughs> yes, through technology uh, and a possible lack of Ethics, right? Yeah, human experimentation and then possibly covering it up. Right. We've talked about DARPA projects in the past, including transcranial direct current simulation, uh, alteration of sleep patterns and uh, a couple of other things, biofeedback experiments, creating uh, cybernetic implants or the mm-hmm. exploration of quote unquote wetware, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, it's possible, but that's something that most people know about and that ha- – or most people are somewhat aware of and doesn't seem too terrible, right? Yes. Uh, but there's something else there. Uh, it turns out that there are prevalent worries that private entities may be attempting to control genes, certain genetic expressions, uh, one of which would be, for instance, an immunity to pain. Yeah, this is – I'm going to use it, Noel. This is fascinating. Uh, I saw a video on YouTube not too long ago about a gentleman who has this um, 
genetic condition and it has upsides and downsides to it, it appears. The big upside is that you can't feel pain or you feel pain to a much lesser degree than any normal person walking around would. So you could perhaps persist long after at an activity long after a pain uh, threshold would have been reached by another person. Yeah, because pain is really just your body telling you, hey, don't do this or get away from there or, you know, there's danger right now. Yeah. I have a friend who I grew up with who had a condition called spina bifida or has, and he couldn't feel, uh, had, had some extremities that he had no feeling in. Mm. And so what ended up happening sometimes was he would get a uh, cut or something like that mm-hmm. and he wouldn't notice it. And over time, if he didn't pay attention to it, it could be problematic, right? Oh, yeah. Get so, infected, yeah. Uh, so it's like, you know, you think the idea of not feeling pain is super cool. But it could be a liability too, right? No, mm-hmm. pain is a survival mechanism. Yeah. We would probably not be here if we could not have something to tell us that fire is hot. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, we're dealing with a mutation in the gene LRP5. If you're writing these down, make sure you're keeping track. Uh, there will be a quiz at the end on the genes. That's not true. Oh, no? I thought we were doing a gene quiz. It might be. Okay. You know, play it by ear. Okay. We uh, we don't want the uh, rules of our show to be as rigid as the bones of this clan. Oh. I don't know if that was worth an O. <laughs> <laughs> that was worth a, a nod that we are keeping the conversation moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, it's it's absolutely true. This This gene has been isolated. It has been found. We have traced the source of uh, – nigh unbreakable bones. Mm-hmm. There's another gene uh, for a what's called a super sleeper mutation. Imagine if you could just sleep four hours a, a night for the rest of your life and you would feel great. Better, in fact, than people who got their solid eight to ten. There's a group of people, they're called short sleepers, and scientists are only recently uncovering what makes them this way. It turns out it's a gene called HDEC2. For the mm. most part, researchers believe these are connected to specific genetic mutations and the one that we just shouted out, HDEC2, is only one of the genes that they have gone public with. Mm. So there are other ones that are currently classified research. And just like uh, we mentioned with tetrachromats, there are also super tasters. Man, I was just about to plug our buddies uh, Will and Mangesh from Part-Time Genius. They have an episode on sleep where they talk about Margaret Thatcher and mm-hmm. her you know, infamous ability to sleep very, very little. Um, but there was another episode they did where Jerry, our mysterious boss and producer of Stuff You Should Know, and myself – joined Will and Mango in the studio to take a test to see if we were super tasters. And it involved putting this little piece of paper in our mouths. And if you were a super taster, it would taste really bitter. And if you weren't, it would just taste like nothing. And Jerry's a super taster. No way. So it tasted really bitter. Wow. Wow. So we have a super powered individual in our midst. Did they tell you it was supposed to be bitter before the test? Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, now they shouldn't have done that. They should have given you the... No, no, no. I wanted it. I mean, I the, the, the way that she described it was like, 
whoa, like big time. Like I, I in my mind was like, maybe it's a little bitter. Yeah. That was my placebo effect kicking mm-hmm. in. But for her, she was like, you guys, this is, tastes like grapefruit. Like, you know, like, yeah, like big time. Here's another, here's another genetic, uh, predisposition that may be a world changer. And let's, let's hope that the right researchers get a hold of it or allowed to work with it. Cancer immunity. In Ecuador, there was a group of people who are called the Loron Dwarves. Whoa. L-A-R-O-N. Uh, they appear, according to all the researchers, to be immune to cancer. Wow. Diabetes and a couple of other diseases. Um, this, uh, the people who suffer this, um, syndrome and also have this immunity have, uh, lack a hormone called IGF-1. And scientists are hoping that they can develop a drug that will mimic the, you know, the good parts of this genetic defect. And the people who inherit the defect are perf- like in perfect human proportions. However, uh, they only grow to an average height of four feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are about 300 people in the world who have this condition, which is known as Lerone dwarfism. Uh, and a third of them live in remote villages in Ecuador's southern Loja province. Wow. So in this case, uh, IGF-1 is this blessing and a curse because it seems like the lack of it is what causes the the growth like, or the uh, lack of growth in in height. But it's that's also great. the thing that's preventing them from getting these terrible diseases, not having it. Yeah. Uh, IGF stands for insulin-like growth factor one. And it's uh, this is the stuff that simulates a cell to grow and divide. If you're an ordinary person, you have too much of this hormone, you can develop prostate, breast, or bowel cancer uh, early in your childhood. Jeez. So it's a, it's a good question. You know, uh, would you – what would you do to uh, prevent somebody from – like your child from gaining getting cancer? Yeah, I know. Like what consequences would you take? Right. Also, what would you do if you were a private corporation, a pharmaceutical or something, to control access to this? The privatization and for-profit deployment of genetic therapy is a huge concern, and it may be very, very big news in the next few years. Have you heard of something called gene doping? Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's basically a hypothetical non-therapeutic use of gene therapy by, uh, athletes. And the purpose is to gain the upper hand, uh, over their opponents, uh, in terms of their performance in particular sporting events. Um, most of which, all of which I would say prohibit such applications of genetic modification. I mean, it's essentially, they call it doping because the doping is, is referring to taking performance enhancing drugs. This is just kind of a cooler, sciencier, you know, version of that. Yeah. And as of, uh, as of April 2015, at least, there's no hard evidence that gene doping has been used for performance enhancement yet. But that data is from two years ago. Mm. More than two years ago now. So what else could have happened? Well, do you think it'd be harder or easier to detect even? Like how would you even like screen for it in the way that you would like with a blood or a urine test for, you know, steroids or human growth hormone or something? That's like that? true. And I also wonder when it comes to this expression, 
how one would do it in a an adult person. You know what I mean? Because for me, I always I had always thought of genetic modification as something that occurs in utero. Yeah, early on before you become a human. We right. had talked about this, I think, uh, over drinks one night with my my roommate Frank, where we, you know, there was a thing I read where um, researchers were able to encode a GIF of a galloping horse yes, into yeah, yeah. a sequence of DNA, yeah. and what resulted from that was this notion that we can theoretically store electronic information in our gene. Yeah, our vast genes. amounts. Yeah. Right. But how do you how do you do that? How do you add it in? And the thing that we came up with was, well, maybe you have to inject it into your stem cells and then it propagates throughout your entire code. Yeah. I guess. I don't know. Scientists, <laughs> lab rats, help, reach out. Help. Talk to us. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's – I really appreciate you bringing up that conversation because – that is all true and it is phenomenal. This is what a time to be alive type stuff. Gene doping would involve the use of gene transfer to increase or decrease expression and biosynthesis of specific proteins. Uh, according to the latest theories, this could be done by in directly injecting a gene carrier into a person or by taking cells from a person, transforming those cells, and then sending them back to the person. Wow. So there would be like no uh, potential for rejection or something mm -hmm. for a foreign cell. Uh, we have some examples of this too, um, and we'll group them by how they might affect performance. So first there would be the skeletal Enhancement. Alpha actinin 3 is found only in skeletal muscles in humans and it has a different what's called polymorphism in world class athletes in comparison to normal people. So one form causes the gene to make protein and it's found in sprinters and it's related to increased power. And there's another form that causes the gene to make less protein and it's found in endurance athletes. So we could say, you know, we're going to make Tristan McNeil a world-class sprinter. So let's inject him with this form. Have you yeah. seen the boy run? I don't – he's good. He's a gazelle. Yeah, he is. He's like a <laughs> cheetah mixed with a gazelle. Like the grace. Yeah. She's springing across the tundra. There's this sly the, the savannah. <laughs> yeah. Wherever gazelles spring. He's svelte. <laughs> He's like smiling and nodding. Oh yeah. But it's like a mischievous it's, smile. Yeah, it's very much like a Michael Douglas and falling down mm -hmm. smile. Uh what I found out today. <laughs> uh, a mutual coworker of ours, don't to go too off track. Yeah, yeah. Father uh in law, old buddies with Michael Douglas. Whoa. Huh. Yeah. That's it's our boy End Dog. Leave it at that. Oh, okay. he got to go to the uh, Ant Man set and watch the part where he was filming the part where he looks young. Yeah, and like he said, they shot it with him and then with a younger actor that looked a lot like him, and they did the exact same moves and they somehow like comped them together, like with the body or whatever to like. Ma I don't know exactly. I'm you know there's uh, the, the movie stuff these days. Yeah. that's going over my head. That's what that sound is. But anyway, let's go back to <laughs> regular yeah. uh, topic. Uh, Ant-Man powers would also be fantastic. Oh, yeah, but they're good, look at you. They're technologically driven, you know. I think in the comics there's a temporary time where for some reason he finds out he's been exposed to uh, PIM particles so much that he can just change without the suit. But let's be realistic in our comic books. God. You know what a good drink is underrated? A What's Tim's that? cup. 
A pimp's cup? I've never had one because of my aversion to touching metal. Refreshing. Why, no, why do you have to? You know, don't they have to come in a metal cup? No, I don't think so. They just give a, Mos- a Moscow mule. That's a Moscow mule. Yeah. Another thing I will never drink. Uh, so the, uh, imagine that's, that's pretty crazy to increase that, uh, that running power in one of two ways. Or what if you do it in both ways? You mean just switch it back and forth? Yeah, whenever you wanted to. Oh, there might be consequences. So just shoot yourself in yep. the thigh or yep. the base of your spine when it's time for a sprint at the end of your marathon? Yeah, man. Couldn't there just be like a capsule you bite down on? Sure. Yeah. I like this idea. Anything you want, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Uh, there's also, we mentioned myostatin uh, deficiency. Uh, that would enhance your musculature. There's a specific kind of glycoprotein that can act as a hormone controlling your red blood cell production. And uh, this glycoprotein, specifically erythropoietin uh, or EPO, has already been injected as a performing performance-enhancing substance for many years. What it does is it since it increases the production of red blood cells, it means that you get more oxygen available to your muscles, which means that you experience fatigue in a different way. Your endurance is getting pumped up. Jeez. Well, we, we you know, we do want to pump. Pump it up. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Here's a scary one. There are proteins that could affect not just your physical attributes, but your mental attributes. So imagine gene doping that affects your psychology, pain perception, right? Someone is a um, a rugby player. I'm like, I don't want to feel any pain when I'm rugbying. Yeah, you'd be a super rugber. Or perhaps a, a cricket player wielding mm-hmm. a, a, a wicket. You could dual wield wickets maybe. The bats. That's not regulation. You can't oh. dual wield the oh, wickets. All right. Well, I was just hoping. I learned about cricket recently. Um, for a uh, for a work thing, but I'm probably never going to be a world-class cricket player unless I dope myself up with all four of those things we mentioned before. Just like a fistful of needles. <laughs> Bam! Yeah, and if I survive the stabs, then uh, then I'm going to take over the world of cricket. The point of this, and we do hope you've enjoyed the episode so far, is that as fantastic and, and fictional and, and sci-fi-esque as these may seem, there are not only genuine, extraordinary human abilities, but there are groups that are working to uh, further these abilities, to turn them into a profitable enterprise. And look, we're not automatically saying that's bad. I do think personally that it's dangerous, but that's my opinion. But then we ask the question, you know, what if the profit motive is the only way these things become available, right? What if there's mm-hmm. – it, it's sort of weird because I don't want to paint a false dichotomy, but who would you rather uh, be the person controlling super, genetic super strength? Would it be a military that is making soldiers? Would it be, you know, Pfizer or something? That's well, I mean, it's like with the military, like a lot of that happens behind closed doors and relatively low oversight from the public. I mean, if if any at all, right? Yeah, you're talking black budget stuff there. Totally, it's like uh, the 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 thing in the Wolverine uh, movie, the really depressing Logan? one. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but there's that's definitely a uh, a theme, a big theme yeah. in it, specifically, you know, with 
kids. Yeah. And it's, it's the way they portray it. It is super dark and super like, wow, we really let this thing get out of hand and now it's coming back to on us kind of thing, you know, but yeah, there's a lot of ethical questions involved in this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, I guess with the company like Pfizer, at least there's this sense of, oversight but it's so gray and it's so, yeah and it's dangerous too you know it's like the argument we uh we hear a lot in various correspondencies on the internet you know a lot of folks tell us in reference to pharmaceutical companies that these companies are not seeking a cure why would they put themselves out of business they're instead building a service model based on making somebody take a regimen of pills on a regular basis for the rest of their life i think that's spot on and if that pill can make you need to take another pill because of side effects, then all the we'll better sell you for the that bottom pill line. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so this is uh, that's something we should also explore. Yeah, it seems like you're pretty convinced it's true. Huh? I mean, I don't know exactly to what extent, but it certainly seems like cure research has to be pri- much more like privately funded, or and it's it's a lot harder to get mm-hmm. that kind of research funded than it is to get funding for something that's like a sure thing that we know will make money. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. There are a lot of diseases that persist because there's not a, a a profit incentive to combat them. You know. But uh, but the research does continue, and for the record, malaria is uh, dwindling now. Mm-hmm. So. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Just for the record, I I can't imagine large governments, especially those with uh, armies that heavily rely on skilled human beings. Yeah. I don't see why any one of those would not be at least trying some kind of genetic enhancement research. Oh. Also, I just remembered, we asked Matt to have a superhero alias, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the closest we came organically was Sticky Matt. Um, that was close. <laughs> I don't know if you um, want to be Sticky Matt. <laughs> I think syrup skin works or syrup, um, the syrup snake. Uh, the syrup snake? Yeah, the that's syrupy snake. Yeah, syrupy that's, snake. That's pretty good, the syrupy snake. So. Blip versus the syrupy snake. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we'd be. Oh, that does sound kind of evil. If yeah. you're the snake, yeah, yeah, the syrup snake. Do you hiss? How about do you spit maple syrup like I venom? Do. Yeah. I do. Yeah, or you could be. But a, it just gets you real sticky. Yeah, that's. <laughs> and you it makes you like me. People. Yeah. You, you could also be like the syrup ferret. That's also sort of serpentine, but less. Okay. Well, if if Zippy Tristan over here was running after you, you could spit. Uh, maple syrup on his feet and slow him down. There we go. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So you're the speedster. You can teleport. I'm pointing at people now. Yeah. Sorry. I just realized I forgot that they can't you're see this point. Shadow demon. I'm fine with that. Look, I think shadow powers is creative. I was going for creativity. Uh, just throwing this in there. Shadow demon, I believe, is a five six flyer for six mana. Is this a magic reference? Yeah. Is that good? Is any yeah, of what I you said good? <laughs> <laughs> Is that nerd alert? <laughs> well, if it's good, then that's fine. That'll I'll be a shadow demon. Perfect. All right. Well, I wish it was a better name, but. Uh, but we hope you enjoyed this episode, and it is time for Shout Out Corners. Our first shout out goes to Matt. Matt, listen to. An episode that we just released uh, mm. around the times of our birthdays in August. Mm. And he says, I just listened to How May I Help You, the episode. And although the episode and acting inside was fantastic, how dare you leave your listeners hanging like that? 
Just kidding. LOL. I loved it. Even though I look forward to learning each week about all the topics you guys cover, this was a nice break. Incredibly entertaining and downright hilarious at times. Wow, thank you, Matt. That's very kind. I hope this will become a regular addition to the show. Keep up the great work, guys. And Matt says, P.S., Yes, if the title didn't give it away, I am a Canadian. LOL. Oh, the title is, No, What the H-E Double Hockey Sticks. Uh, well, first, th- thanks for writing this. That was such a tremendous compliment. I was, Noel and I were looking at each other, waiting to see what the plot twist would be. I know. The, the plot twist. <laughs> what was your dramatic reading? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The, <laughs> the plot twist is that uh, he hopes that it will become a regular addition to our show. We have to give producer Alex some serious props for that yeah. one. I don't think we, we, we gave him his due in mm-hmm. the actual episode. Cause he not only did like the sound design and all the cool stuff, mm-hmm. he, like that song at the end, he that's wrote him. it like that's from him. scratch. And that's and so it's Tarantino. So cool. <laughs> yeah. And it even has the lyrics that like match the theme of the episode. Mm-hmm. It's just great. If you guys haven't listened to that, one or if you skipped over it because you were like this is weird it's trust me yeah. it's fun at least at yeah. the very end yeah my, my no, only, <laughs> shut up. the whole thing's a lot of fun yeah. my only regret is that we we didn't get to hear inside the episode how tristan really feels about you ben because we, we got it on audio like, right. I have, well okay I, have, I, right. I guess we can play the outtake okay we'll do thanks uncle roy uh back to work then love you love you too <laughs> that's real <laughs> So, got to do that. Come so, on. We got, that, that, that clip is too good. So, I love you too. <laughs> so good. So good. So we have rewrites. Uh, thanks. So, uh, thank you so much. We, uh, we really enjoy doing this sort of stuff and it's, it's a treat for us as well. It does take a little bit more time, yeah. a lot of time in post-production to make it sound good. So. We were lucky enough to have a cool crew that was into, you know, doing it. And you surprised us with that. I don't know if we mentioned that either. You like had written this thing and surprised us with a fancy table read and all mm-hmm. this stuff. And it came out really great. I'm pretty excited. Well, here's, here's to the next time. Uh, stay tuned for, uh, All Hallows Eve, perhaps. <laughs> Excuse right? me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, the next shout out is from uh, Paul. He says, "Good day, gentlemen. Hope you are all well. I've been an avid listener for several years now and have really enjoyed listening to your interviews and analysis. Uh, I, I don't usually. This is me, Noel, talking. I don't usually read the accolades here, but I want to read it because it sets up what's to come. Oh, um, I can't speak highly enough of your podcast." I was therefore not very impressed with your recent podcast oh. on Bigfoot. Oh, um, I've been a Bigfoot fan since as long as I can remember, so I couldn't wait to hear the podcast on the train on the way to work last week. I was therefore expecting some groundbreaking news, videos, still pictures, but alas, absolutely nothing. I'm going to skip some of this uh, this uh, stomping on our Bigfoot episode just to get to the part that I thought was actually interesting in the I, commentary. I, I think this uh, whole email is interesting. I understand it is a little bit longer, uh, and I do want to point out that I love that you said stomping on our Bigfoot episode. Yes. Stomping on our Bigfoot episode. <laughs> I caught exactly. it too. So I'm going to get to the part that I thought was most interesting. But alas, absolutely nothing. Then there was the issue of population. I believe the figure quoted was 30,000. But then later, David Bakara, our guest, uh, went on to say that they were from another dimension. They can't be flesh and blood in one sentence and then invisible interdimensional in the next. It's too confusing. I could be swayed one way or the other, but both... I could go on ranting and pointing out inconsistencies, but I'll stop here. 
Um, and then he says, nothing against you guys, but you need to ask your guests some tougher questions. Otherwise, if we follow David Bakar's logic, we can blame everything, JFK, 9-11, UFO, Monsanto, New World Order, etc., on the magical elves. Keep up the good work and ask the hard questions. You never know. You might end up with an exclusive piece of evidence as opposed to blaming fairy folk. Best regards, Paul. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. it was it was as harsh but fair. Um, to, to, in our defense, the fairy stuff and the interdimensional stuff was sort of a thought experiment. I mean, it was kind of like the way we approached it. As far as I, the way I approached mm. it was that's an interesting thing to think about. Why are they so elusive? Perhaps, and there's a lot of uh, accounts of them shimmering out and, you know, doing these kind of like predator invisibility kind of stuff, right? Mm. I don't know. I never really said that I was fully on board with it, but I enjoy talking about this stuff, even if it's not like the most obvious solution. So that's what an interview is a lot of times, is kind of just going down rabbit holes with people. And mm. I, I felt like we asked good questions and that we, you know, went, explored various aspects of the Bigfoot phenomenon. Well, it's weird that interview we were going, we're going right up against one of the tenets of our show, which is not to tell anybody what to believe, right? And if we're going to go right, right ahead and say, hey, we don't believe you, David, or we don't believe this, I think that's doing a disservice to, uh, Everybody listening. So I do remember I, – I felt we would be remiss if we didn't say, all right, if there's a creature this large, why aren't there any bodies? Why isn't there any mm. fecal matter? You know, gorillas, other large primates often build nests where the – where are – where the H-E double hockey sticks <laughs> are those? And um, that was part of the question that prompted – that prompted this proposition of some sort of extra-dimensional – Entity, which is just not not doing it for me. There's not even there's not a shred of corroborating evidence. Mm. But um, but uh, I will point out also that our the person we interviewed, uh, David Becerra, I believe, if I recall correctly, at some point he said he didn't want people to find Bigfoot. That's what he said. Isn't that the thing that he mentioned? Oh yeah. So he has some he, – he does have some uh, – I appreciate you pointing this out, Paul, because I, I clocked it too. He does have some seemingly self-contradicting theories about yeah. Bigfoot. And I think he's just going through and, and considering each of them out loud. But you know what? If it turns out that Bigfoot is some sort of extra-dimensional entity, I will um, – I, I will apologize publicly. I will eat a hat. Um, I will wear a stupid costume for a year in okay. this dimension or the next. You know, it's the least I can do. I'd rather be, uh, I'd rather learn the truth than feel like I am always right. You know what I mean? For sure. But I will be really surprised. I'm just going to be really surprised. Um, and if you guys have not checked out that interview yet, please do give it a listen. Uh, we, we, we found some really cool stuff and the guy has an encyclopedic knowledge of, uh, Bigfoot encounter stories, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. We have one more shout out today. It is from Camilla. Camilla says, Hey guys, I'm a little late to this, but I just discovered your podcast. So I've been listening to a lot of past episodes at work, but I think I have a good explanation for what a kitten whisper is from my own personal experience with kittens. Do we I, need a background yeah, check here? Yeah, who chose this? Uh, <laughs> who chose well, I mean, this wasn't letter? that in our drug episode or something where we were, wasn't that like a slang for copping? 
Some kind of drug. You we went. Kitten, it was a large whispers. list. It was a huge list. And at the end, Kitten Whisperer was there. We decided that was our favorite. Because when I first saw this email, I was like, does she mean Kitten Whisperer? Yeah. No, like, no, no, no. No, no. Kitten Whisperer. That sweet Kitten Whisperer. Give me that sweet Kitten <laughs> So I'm sorry, Ben. Carry on. Just <laughs> okay. To, so, okay, well, thank deep, you. It's a deep cut. That is – thank you. It was deeper than I had I, – I wasn't sure what a Kitten Whisperer was as we were reading this. <laughs> so Camilla is helping us out. She says, I think I have a good explanation for what a Kitten Whisperer is. From my own personal experience with kittens, I think a Kitten Whisperer is when they sniff your ear and you can hear the little adorable sniffles. Thanks for keeping me entertained at work. Okay. Uh, okay. So maybe not a drug. Yeah, maybe it's just the little sniffles. Or maybe it's opium. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much, Camilla, Paul, and Matt. This concludes our... If you want to be like Camilla, Paul, and Matt and write to us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. You can check out some photos that we post and hang out with us on Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show. And we especially want to hear from you if you have any stories about superpowers in your families genetics yeah. perhaps yeah oh yeah that's the, that's the business yeah. oh yeah anything you've encountered a bit strangely that maybe you're a geneticist and you want to clarify some things with us or you want to slap us around and call us a bunch of dummies that's okay we accept and we want to learn from you so if you don't want to reach out to us through, through those social media venues you can write to us directly we are conspiracy at howstuffworks.com A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.